Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. I have next to me Joe McGee. And Joe, it, we had to reroute him through Dallas because he was going to Chicago. <laughs> and he's a trooper, man. His plane landed at three and we drove him in and he got here just in time for this. So we're really excited. He has a message. This is our series first. And we're really excited about how Joe's going to teach about putting God first in our families. And I know it's going to be absolutely amazing. I want to give you an opportunity to give. If you're watching at Believers.cc, you can actually give right on the website. If you're watching on Facebook, you'd have to transfer over to Believers.cc. And just a little secret, uh, Facebook cannot transmit in HD, but our website can. So you'll actually see this better and hear it better on our website. And also, there's different ways you can give. You can text your money in electronically. So you see all that. Guys, I want to thank you for your generosity. I'm going to pray over this offering, and then Joe's going to minister. And then I want to come back up after that and give you an opportunity to give to his ministry. And remember, 9 o'clock tomorrow um, is canceled, but we're going to try to do the 1045. We'll wake up and see <laughs> if this storm is everything they said it would be. So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you with everything that's in us. I thank you for the generous people of believers, and Lord, I just thank you for meeting every single need in their life, and Lord, we thank you for Joe. We thank you for what he's going to place into our lives this day in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, hello, everybody. This is a, it's a great time to be alive. You realize something? Uh, of all the centuries that have been in history, I used to teach history years ago, and of all the centuries, this is the greatest one. If you could have gone back to the beginning before there was a heaven and earth, and you'd talk to God and say, hey, God, what are you about to do? Well, son, I'm about to make everything. I'm about to make a universe and planet earth. If you'd gone back to the beginning and God said, now, son, here's the future. When would you like to be born? Would you like to be born here with, with, in, in the beginning with, you know, uh, Adam and Eve? And I said, well, no, Father, that looks like it's probably going to go south. They're, they're going to get fired from their job, evicted from the house. They're going to start killing each other. I don't, I don't want to be there. And so it's like, well, well, how about no? You like big boats, don't you? Well, I love boats, God. And so, well, uh, how about no? Well, no, I've seen that. You know, you're on that boat with no rudder, no motor, and having to shovel a lot of stuff. No, no thank you. I'd like to pick something else. Would you like to be born when my son comes to earth? I said, well, sure, that'd be great. You know, I said, well, sign on not holding that. But you notice that during that period of history, they nailed men to cross the 70 miles either side of Jerusalem. I said, no, thank you. I don't think I want to do that. Well, son, you got to pick some time to be born. Well, Father, if I could choose, I would like to be born in the last days when the Bible says your spirit's poured out without measure. We're going to dream dreams and have visions. I'd really like to be born then if I could. And so for whatever reason, God has allowed us to be alive in the last days. This is the greatest time of human history. If you read the numbers, people do research all the time, more people being saved than in the history of mankind. More people being going to church, more people going on the mission field. God's moving like a freight train, and it's just good to be in the middle of it. So my kids were coming up, so I always wanted a big family. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters, so I like big families. The greatest thing we do went to family reunion, family parties, family Christmas. So uh, we had a small town, 750 people. So Christmas time, there was a Christmas parade, but nobody watched it. Everybody was in it. And so 4th of July, we had a 4th of July parade. Uh, nobody watched it. Everybody was in it. So the jail's at one end of town and the church is at the other. And so we got nice little tents, real pretty street lamps and paved sidewalks. It was in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains, but it was, it was really nice. Like we had our own Disney World. And so I kind of grew up in that, and I love family. So when I got married, I, I wanted a lot of kids. 
And people would ask us all the time, I said, man, who are you? I said, well, you know, I said, my name's Joe. And I said, all these kids yours? Well, three of them are. We picked three of them up on the side of the road. They looked hungry. We thought we'd just come in and feed them. Yeah, they're all ours. And you did this on purpose? Yes. And so my wife and I said, we wanted five kids, but God always does above beyond all you can ask or think. We ended up with six. And so six kids will not make you holy and famous. Six kids will make you insane and broke. If you don't know what to do with them, they show up. And so I loved them, and we loved having a big family. It was busy, and there were times just trying to find someplace to sleep or, or, you know, plate to eat off of or a clean towel. It was just busy. But as they got older, I realized something. I, I liked them, but they're becoming adults. They don't stay children forever. Eventually, they're going to grow up and leave home. And so um, I got thinking one day, I wanted nice kids. I want you to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I, I, I want you to speak and tell the truth. And so after a while, I realized, no. No, I don't want nice kids. Now, I noticed in our neighborhood, in my family, nice people finish last. Nice people finish last. Then I read one time, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. What does that mean? Well, we're going to storm the gates of hell. So if you go through and just read your Bible, just reading through, you realize the body of Christ, we we do a lot of stuff. We feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty, and we help orphans, we help widows. Uh, we visit sick people and nurse them back to health. We visit people in prison. We are the salt and light of this planet. And so when you went through school, your people voted in your high school, most likely to succeed, most handsome, most beautiful. Well, I've been to every one of my high school reunions. I've been to my 50th. I've been to every one of them. And uh, people that were voted didn't turn out quite like you thought in the yearbook. Like, whoa, because when we, go to, when we get together now, you have to wear a picture from your high school. Now, who are you? Because you don't look anything like you did when you got out of high school. And so things changed. And so I thought, man, I, I need to make sure my kids turn out well. God said children are a gift from God. They give them to us. We train them up, and then we give them back to God. They're on loan from God. So I love my kids. I love my family, but I want you to grow up and move out of the house and go somewhere and do something. So I began to change when my oldest daughter hit junior high. I thought, i got to change what I'm doing. So i got to do this on purpose. So every year we would sit down at the first of the year, this time of the year, we sit down and said, okay, we're going to lay out a little plan. I want from you, I want a one-year plan, a three-year plan, and a five-year plan. Where do you see yourself five years from now? And I told him, I just want one sentence. I don't want a paragraph. One sentence. Where are you going to be five years from now? Give me one sentence. Well, I'm going to be here. Okay, well, where are you going to be four years from now? Write me one sentence. And so I made him think about the future because most people don't want to think about that. Well, I want a plan. God says, you've you got to order our steps, direct our paths, he'll guide us into all truth. But a man makes his plans and God orders the steps. God cannot order the steps of somebody who has no plans. So I started parenting different. I want you to start thinking. So my kids are all adults, out of the house, out of college, uh, doing really good. They're not perfect. Nobody has perfect children. But I have strong children. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day and they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. So I want my kids to know, you fall down, you need to learn how to repent quick, forgive quick, jump back up, get your hand on the plow, start moving again. You don't feel bad about yesterday. You don't have a time machine. You cannot go into your past. God says his mercy is brand new every morning. God's mercy is new every morning. Not yesterday. The devil lives in your past. God lives in your future. So don't have to, well, I wish I had and we should have. And I, I did this and I should have done that. No, don't talk about your past. Well, how are we, how are we going to do different today? We're going to do different tomorrow. Let's, let's have a little plan here. So then I began to sit down as adults and I said, once a year we're going to come together and I'm going to sit down for about four hours we're going to go over your future. We're going to lay out a little one-year plan, and you're going to tell it to everybody. We're going to sit in a big circle. And My kids, they're married. They're adults. they got kids of their own. Okay, tell me something. You're right here in the big family reunion thing here after the first year. We're sitting down. 
Tell everybody where you're going to be a year from now. Well, I plan to do this a year from now. Okay, you're next. Where are you going to do a year from now? Okay, where do you plan to be a year from now? You're going to be living there where you're living now? No, I plan to move. Where are you going to be a year? And so we make them say it, and then I make it, write it down. So when we get back together next year, I pull that paper back out. Last year, you said you're going to be here a year from now. Are you there? And nobody's ever there, but they get close. Some get close, some pass it up, some come way short. But what we do is kind of like family pressure. You're going to have to give a report next year in front of everybody. Are you moving towards something? Are you just existing? I don't want to have kids that just exist. We live in the greatest time of human history. Let's make the most of it. So what I would do, I would take every year and I do the same message every year, almost verbatim. I go back to Genesis 1. I said, so I, I was an engineer, and I, I like being an engineer. I love just thinking about things. How do you make it run faster and better? Same thing about the human life. So we need to think about our life. So I make them sit down. Okay, let's go back to Genesis, and we took the first family. Everything's great in the Garden of Eden. There's Adam. The first six days of creation, God rested on the seventh. God's rehearsing in his mind how things have gone. He said, well, that's good. I made that and trees and the flowers and the sun and the moon and the water. He said, that's good, that's good, that's good. That. It was all good until he finally got down. He's looking at Adam. He said, not good. The first time God ever said not good in the Bible, he was looking at a man. He said, not good. Adam said, what's not good? You, not good. You're alone. He had no concept of alone. So Adam laid down and took a nap. He woke up missing a rib. And right there in front of him was a centerfold of all life. And he said, whoa, Father, thank you. And so I tell people, Adam and Eve, they went off to fellowship that day. They didn't milk the cows or feed the camels. They went off to fellowship and said, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And they got to visiting with one another. And so that's what happened to the first family. Well, the problem is Satan has been fired from his job. They asked Jesus one time, said, you ever seen the devil? He said, yeah. What did he look like? He looked like a lightning bolt coming out of heaven. He got fired from his job. And so Satan's on this planet. The Bible says he steals, kills, and destroys. He's a liar. He doesn't know the truth. He walks into the Garden of Eden, and he gum flaps Adam and Eve out of everything. And are you sure God said? Are you? So he's challenging the Word of God. He's never changed. He challenges the Word of God. The Bible says when the Word comes, the devil comes immediately to steal it. He doesn't want us feeding on the Word of God. So he did that to Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they got fired, evicted, kids are killing each other. So the first family went south. So I, I remember when I was teaching my kids, listen, I've been teaching on family for a long time when I finally got into ministry. So we start in Genesis. What happened to the family? Well, they sin. What happened? Well, sin has death attached to it. Nothing good ever happens. So you're trying to live a, you're trying to walk on water? No, we're just trying to live a righteous life. We've got to know how to repent quick and forgive quick every day. So then we come on down and God's walking through the garden. Adam needed to sin. So, you know, they went down to the store and bought some clothes because they were naked. And so Adam's, Adam's in the garden. He's hiding. So God comes walking through the garden like he did every day. And he's saying, he's, the Bible says, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I'm over here. And God asked him, now he knows what he's doing. He's trying to get him to tell the truth. What are you doing? He says, well, I was hiding. That's why you're hiding. He said, well, I was naked. He said, who told you were naked? And Adam's thinking. Now you can read it in any translation. He's thinking. He's thinking, well, well, it was the woman's fault. Now, God, when it was just me and you, it was paradise, and it was wonderful. And ever since you brought that woman in my life, it's been going downhill. And so he blamed Eve. So God turns to Eve and said, well, what's your story? And she's thinking, he's dumped on me. He's dumped on me again. And she's thinking, well, well, snake's fault, snake's fault. And she blamed the snake. So from the very first family, nobody will take responsibility for themselves. Well, that's my mama's fault. That's my daddy's fault. That's my coach's fault. It's my teacher's fault. 
my cousin's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. If it was for everybody else, I'd be doing great. So we see that from the beginning, nobody would take responsibility. So there's where we have, you got to read through the whole Bible. So you're going down to Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel. People keep going stupid. What do they need? Well, they need a Savior. So God makes a thing called the law, you know, thing called Ten Commandments. We're a lot more than ten, but he started with ten. He makes a law with you. No human's ever kept the Ten Commandments. And that stunned me one time because my county courthouse has some big marble out in front, you know. Church I went to for a long time, they got it right out front, Ten Commandments. They're good. We should keep them. But nobody could. So the reason God gave the commandments to show them, you can't keep this. You need my son, but you don't know you need my son. So eventually, his son comes there, you know, silent night, holding out, we through kings of war and And we love the story at Christmas time. And so there's a virgin birth, the baby's born, and then the wise men follow the star across the desert. And then they find the baby in Bethlehem, and then the angel warns them, Herod's going to try to kill up, and they run off to Egypt, and Herod dies, and they come back. So Jesus grows up, and so we pick up in the New Testament where Jesus is 12 years old. Now, he's a normal kid. He can't raise a dead goldfish. He doesn't walk on the pond. He probably doesn't make his bed just right. He's a normal kid, but he's heard all the stories, you know, about, hey, you know, we had an angel appear to your mom, and an angel appeared to your dad, and you're special. Well, he looks normal. By this time, Mary's got some other kids, a few other kids in the house. So every year they go down to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, A-Day festival. They go down there. I go to these things, family reunions, get-togethers, you know, revival meetings. All the family shows up. So they go down there. It's an eight-day festival. It ends at noon on the eighth day, and then they go home. So this is before Rayovac flashlights or lanterns. So you head home at noon, and you make camp before it gets dark. You got to make camp before you get the tents up and get all the camels tied up and build a fire cook the dinner. So you try to imagine. And if you just read through Luke 2, it's kind of got a long story. It says they get and they make camp. Mary says, Joseph, get the boys in here to eat. Man, it's dusty. There's, it's a caravan. They, they don't have policemen or state troopers. They travel in packs so they can protect one another. So it's dusty. It's noisy. So the kids come in to eat, and I'm sure Mary said, where's Jesus at? And Joseph said, well, I hollered for him. He's not here. Well, go get him. Food's going to get cold. So he disappears. Well, it gets late. It gets dark, and Joseph comes back into the tent. Mary says, where's Jesus at? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Go get him. Get him in there. It's, going to, it's late. The kids are already asleep. I can't find him. What do you mean you can't find him? Now, we don't know. We have to kind of conclude the conversation got pretty nasty. He said, well, I've been from one of the camp the other twice, and he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? I think we left him in Jerusalem. Now, have you ever done that? Because I've gone to reunions before, and I've got six children, big old suburban, and we have pulled twice. We have got about a mile from the family farm when we realize hey, where's, where's one of the kids? We realized we left them at the farm. We've had to turn around and go back to get them, and they're playing out there in the yard somewhere, playing up in the barn, like, get in the car. Well, these are my kids. But there's so many sometimes. Well, they're here somewhere. They're here. No, they weren't. So they go back to Jerusalem the next day. It takes a four-hour march to get back there. The Bible says for three days, Mary and Joseph are looking for Jesus. You know, the Son of God, silent night, holy night. They're looking for Jesus. So if you read through the story, Luke 2, they can't find him. Three days later, they're out of breath. We can't find him. We have lost the Son of God. We couldn't have lost one of these. We lose the Son of God. What kind of parent are you? And I'm sure there was a lot of words that we didn't get in the Bible, but it was ugly. And so finally, they're wore out. They're exhausted. I mean, where do you find a 12-year-old boy? In the movie theater, the pool hall, the bowling alley? They don't have those things. They don't have, hey, have you seen this kid? There's no photograph. They're trying to describe this kid, and it's a big city. So finally, three days later, they're out of breath. They thought, where have we not looked? And all of a sudden, Joseph says, well, we've not looked in the temple. 
He's not normal. He's not a normal kid. He may be in the temple. And so they run into the temple, and there's this Jesus, 12-year-old boy. What's he doing? Well, the Bible says he's astounding, the scribes and the Pharisees, with his answers and his questions. And Mary speaks up. She says, why have you done this to your father now? Because anytime's moms get upset, they always drag the dad in on the conversation. Why have you done this to your father now? And, said, and, he, and Jesus answered in the King James. He said, Mom, know ye not a need to be about my father's business. He said, I don't know about you, Mom. I, I need to be doing stuff. He's trying to find out who he is. Jesus had to find out who we is, who he was, just like you and I have to find out. Our children have to find out. That's why I believe my kids, I want you in church every time the door's open. We're going to volunteer. We're going to serve. And we're going to do some stuff. And we'll help mow the grass. I want you to hang around because you're not going to discover it in one moment of time. It comes line upon line, precept on precept. You learn it a little at a time. So I wanted my kids in church every time the door's open. I remember one time, one time, a child said, Dad, are we going to church Sunday? I says, What? I said, are we going to church Sunday? I said, is the sun going to come up? <laughs> it's, yeah, well, if the sun comes up, we're going to church. So none of my kids ever challenged me. It was just what we did. We go to school, we go to the lake, we eat dinner. We, we might go watch a movie. It's normal. We go to church. And so Jesus, it says, Mary was astounded at what she said. So they go back home. And then Luke 2.52, it says, as Jesus grew, he's 12. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God, favor with man. So I realized when I was teaching parenting at a local church years ago, I thought, there's the four areas of parenting. We need, we need wise children. Now, if you look at Proverbs, there's four kinds of kids, wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. There's four kinds in the Bible. And so wise children live a long time. They become very wealthy. They're being honored with the family name. They can storm the wall of a city and bring it down. Good things happen to wise people. If you're not wise, the Bible says you're simple-minded. The Bible says the simple believe everything they hear. Since you have no scripture in you, Everything's the truth. Hey, have you heard this? Hey, have you heard? No. And they think everything they hear is the truth because they have no word to filter out the lies. So simple-minded kids are in trouble all the time. They're not mean. They're not rebellious. They're just simple-minded. Well, the Bible says if you stay simple-minded too long, you go to stage three, you become a fool. Fools love getting into trouble. They love pushing the envelope. The Bible says it's sport for a fool to make mischief. Teachers love these kids. They have a lot of potential. But all of a sudden, the Bible says... A fool is like a dog that pukes his guts out and eats it again. It's not really good. Good things don't happen to a fool. There's over 100 scriptures in Proverbs alone on a fool. Good things do not happen to fools. And it's just not good. Well, if you stay a fool too long, you go to stage four. You become what the Bible calls a scorner. What's a scorner? You mock everybody and everything. I don't have to do that. I don't like you. I don't like my teacher. I don't like my coach. I don't like my life. I, and what you, you judge everything else. The Bible says... Cast out a scorner, and strife and contention will cease. Worst thing you'll do is get a scorner to try to be a friend to your kid because what a scorner does, he gets everybody around him in trouble and he never gets caught himself. So what you need, I need wise children. So one of the things I've prayed my whole life, twice a day, and, and my kids, my youngest is 27, my oldest is 42, a college professor. I still pray this twice a day. Father, today I give you permission to teach my children to fear you. Psalm 34, 11. Teach my children to fear you, for the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. How do you get long life, riches, and honor? You need wisdom. How do you get wisdom? You need to fear God. The fear of God is the doorway to wisdom. Father, teach my children to fear you. Why? If they fear God, they're going to make it just fine. They don't have to be perfect. They're going to fall down every now and then. They're not going to be perfect. But if they fear God, it's going to go good. So we go through the fear of God, beginning of wisdom. Number two, Jesus grew in stature. 
And what that is, you have some rules, regulations, rewards, and punishments. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it'll be well with you and you live long on the earth. People said, You have perfect kids? No, nobody's got perfect kids. I don't have perfect kids. I got kids who know how to repent quick, forgive quick. I do. And I give them a chance to say, Hey, I think we might want to pray. We don't want to do this again because good does not happen to people that do this. So we had rules, regulations, rewards, and punishments in the house. I had three rules in my house. People always said, man, how did you get your kids to obey? Well, it really wasn't that big a deal. Uh, the first two were a little challenging, and the next four picked right up on it. And so I had three rules in my house. No talking back to mom or dad, no telling a lie, no fighting with your brothers and sisters. We, we don't tolerate that. Outside that, have a wonderful life. I want to be like Santa Claus stuck upside in your chimney. I want to be the greatest thing ever happened to you outside Jesus. It's going to be great growing up my home, but don't do these other things. Then the third thing is Jesus grew in favor with God. What's that? I have six children. No two of my children are the same. I have one daughter that can make an A without opening a book, straight A's. That does not mean that she told the truth or kept her room clean. She just can make straight A's. It was incredible. I had another daughter. To make that same A, she'd have to study three and four hours a night. And she'd get upset, Dad, it's not right. I said, well, honey, there's no scripture about being fair. There's nothing about life being fair. Your daughter has a gift. I don't know where she got it. She didn't get it from me, and I don't think she, she got it from my mother. But she has that gift. You don't have that gift. you got to study. Well, my second daughter went to college on an athletic scholarship. Her older sister went to college on an academic scholarship. The Bible says your gift, not your sister's gift, not your brother's gift, your gift will make room for you and bring you four kings. It'll make you wealthy. Do what you're gifted to do. Quit trying to be like somebody else. What are you called to do? So I realized they're all different. Then it says, Jesus grew in favor with God, use your gift, and then favor with man. There are more scriptures in your Bible on the subject of friends and friendship than there are on the subject of hell. And the reason is friends can take you to hell. And people say, well, you can't pick your children's friends. Well, I did. I told my kids, I will pick your friends. I'm going to tell you who you're going to hang out, who you're not going to hang out with, who can, who can come over and where you can't go. I want you to live a long time. I want you to be blessed. I, I, I did it real selfish. I said, you know, the Bible says, Parents left for the children, children left for the parents. I said, you owe me and mom, good measure, pressed down. We're the ones that birthed you and bathed you and taught you how to talk and walk. We're the ones that fixed your crooked teeth, helped you pass algebra, helped you get out of school, helped you get into college. We're the ones that were there when you graduated. We paid for your wedding and your honeymoon, bought your first car. Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho. We're like Santa Claus stuck upside down your chimney. You owe us. Parents over the children, children over the parents. You owe us good measure, press down, shade together. And so I joked them their whole life. I said, don't ever buy anything for mom and I that fits in a box. I can go to Walmart by myself. You want to buy something, either drive it up the driveway or it better be a cruise going somewhere. And so I've had kids that would laugh when they became adults, Christmas time. I said, hey, don't buy me anything, just save up. Hey, Dad, we're saving up for that winter baby. Well, God bless you, sugar. I love you. Come on, let's have a good time. So what happened, you had to have some sort of standard. There are no perfect families. There's no perfect parents. There aren't perfect kids. But there are those who do have a standard. Now, Jesus grows up, and he finally goes off and meets this camel hair bug-eating Baptist who dunks him under the water, and he comes up out of the water. God opens heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, the Holy Spirit shows up and leads him off into the wilderness to square off against the devil. He whips the devil with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. He comes back after season, comes into town, and he walks into, and it's just, it just happens to be the Sabbath. Well, Jesus has been running the local Home Depot most of his life. You know, he, he owns the carpenter shop. His brothers and sisters, they work for him. he make you bed. He'll make you boat mask, whatever you need. Everybody knows Jesus. And so it's his turn to read. They took, 
They took turns reading the Sabbath. Hey, Jesus, your turn to read today. So Jesus opens up Isaiah and he reads this, the passage about, you know, how I'm the Son of God. I'm going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. And, and he goes to this whole thing. And then he finally goes over and sits down in this chair. And he says, today has this scripture been fulfilled in your ears? And so two guys were talking. And, and Luke 4 and I said, what did he say? Well, he, he, he reads real good. We need to have him read more often. Yeah, but what did he say? Well, he said he was the one. The one what? Well, there was an embroidered chair in every synagogue. It's still true today. Every synagogue got this embroidered chair. That's reserved for Messiah when he comes back to the earth. Nobody sits in that chair. Well, Jesus walked over and he sat down in that chair that day. And he said, he said, well, he's sitting in the chair. And all of a sudden they realized he's sitting in the chair. And the Bible says that a mob broke out, a riot. They rushed Jesus, who everybody loved. They knew his mom. They knew his dad. They bought furniture from him. Everybody loved Jesus. He'd never done anything wrong. The Bible said he'd never sinned. A mob broke out, and they jerked him out of the chair, and they took him to the end of town, and they're going to shove him off a cliff. What happened? He said, I'm him. I'm the one you've been looking for. And they didn't believe it. Now, I want to read two passages. This is really good. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. This is out of the New Living Translation. Uh, this, I do this with my kids every year. They can almost quote this. I'm going to read this scripture. It says, when they heard this, Jesus saying, I'm the one, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him off the cliff, but he walked through the middle of them. Two days later, he's back in town. He's sitting back there in Mark chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus sitting teaching the synagogue, and here's what it says. Again, from New Living Translation, verse 2 of Mark chapter 3. Jesus' enemies watched him closely. People all the time, my kid, dad, teacher doesn't like me. Coach won't play me. My friend's mad at me. So listen, guys, this is not a perfect planet. Even Jesus had enemies. Jesus never sinned once, but the Bible says Jesus' enemies were watching him closely. What did he do wrong? He never did anything wrong. Healed some sick people, raised some dead people, fed some hungry people. He didn't do anything wrong, but he had enemies. Everybody's got enemies. There are some people that will never like you, and you can't make them. Don't wear yourself out doing that. Now, this is what I give my kids every year. There are some people that you can't make like that. You, you're to be good to them, but you can't make them be good back. Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Verse 4, Jesus turned to his critics, started talking to him. He's got enemies. He's also got critics. Do you have any critics in your life? He had critics. Hey, who are you? What do you think you're doing? We don't like what you're doing. We think that's a dumb decision. We think that's stupid. Everybody's got critics. Even Jesus had critics. Then as the first six, it said, the Pharisees and the supporters of Herod plotted after that day how to kill Jesus. Jesus had people wanted to murder him. He's got enemies, he's got critics, and there are people that want him dead. What did he do wrong? Nothing. He was just born. And I tell people, if you get caught up trying to make everybody like you, you're going to wear yourself out. The Bible says, we are the light and the salt of this planet. You need to be a blessed today. When you wake up, every day you wake up, you got to make the devil break out into a cold sweat. It's like hell says, oh my goodness, they're up. What you're going to do every day, I just try to imagine CNN being around and coming to interview Jesus. They've been around forever. Can you imagine CNN interviewing Jesus when he started his earth ministry? Jesus, what do you have planned today? He said, well, i got a busy day planned. Uh, earlier this morning, I'm going to put some eyeballs in a blind man's head. They're going to get really excited about that. By the way, they drug this guy down to the Roman people and the Pharisees, Sadducees, and they grilled this blind man. He'd been blind all of his life. He's got two brand new eyeballs. And they asked him, do you believe this guy's the son of God? And the blind man who's not blind anymore said, I don't know. Once I was blind, now I can see. That's all I know. 
I mean, he didn't get converted. He didn't turn into an evangelist. He just got his eyeballs back. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so it's like, ooh, well, that turned out good. Then later on, Jesus said, this morning I'm going to walk in around noon and I'm going to raise a dead kid at a funeral. You're going to write about that. Then the seed, I'm going to go out here on this hillside and I'm going to create 5,000 Happy Meals. They're going to talk about that for a long time. Jesus did good everywhere he went. The Bible says, leave everybody better than you find them. So I wanted my kids to know, in this world you live today, you've got to get a thought of who you are, who you are in him, in whom in Christ. Yeah, the world's messed up. The devil's trying to tear stuff up. But God's moving like a freight train. We're not going to get focused on what the devil's doing. Let's focus on what we're doing, helping God. We're going to be a blessed to everybody we meet. So I like this. This is um, I'll give you this right here. Um, when Jesus finally started his ministry, and he's out doing good, and he's healing everybody, people begin to gather around. And so all of a sudden, there's 30,000 people on the hillside. Now, the reason there's 30,000 people on the hillside is because there's free food and free health care. And you can read all the stories. Jesus healed all their sick and fed everybody free food. It's like, can you imagine Jesus is going to be at Walmart Saturday afternoon, uh, 5 o'clock. Everybody come on out, free health care, free food, free hot dogs and hamburgers, free health care. I mean, you wouldn't be able to get in the parking lot if you just advertised those two things. Well, that's what Jesus did. That's one of those 30,000 men plus their wives and families. And so, but in the evening, when he'd come aside, he would begin to talk to the 12 and say, guys, what do you think about what happened out there today? And I said, man, that was something, Lord. And then we could ask questions. Well, Jesus would talk to him until it got dark, and then he'd walk off into the dark. And the Bible says, of the 12, Peter, James, and John would follow him off into the dark. And then when Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, only John laid his head on Jesus' chest. So I, I try to tell my kids, listen, if there's a whole lot of people, I'm not sure what's going on. Because there was multitudes around Jesus long as free food, free health care. But when he got to himself, he said he only took those that were, had left everything to follow him. Then when he went off, only three would go off and pray with him, and only one laid his head on his chest. So the closer you get to God, the more elbow room you're going to get. So don't get depressed. Go be a blessing to everybody you meet, everywhere you go. So we would sit down, we lay out a five-year plan. Said, Guys, what do you plan to do with your life? Where are you going to go? And so they would sit down and write it down. So here's what we're going to do. I would sit down with us, okay. Guys, I want you to give me three scriptures for everything you're going to believe God for. What are you going to do? Well, I want to get this other job. What job? Well, I want to get a job in this other place, and I'd like to do something. So, well, what, 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 what are you good at? Because you can get paid for what you're good at. So they name something. I said, well, how do you plan to do that? So the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. Had a daughter that got an accounting degree. It made good grace. She made straight A's except for one B. And so she got out, and so, so she, the economy was down, and she said, Dad, nobody's hiring. Oh, no, somebody's hiring, sugar. Somebody's always hiring. Nobody's hiring. And so she went and put in like 12 different job applications, 12 different banks. Nobody's hiring. I said, baby, you get out there tomorrow, and you put in more because uh, your bank account's draining. You don't have that much money left as it is. So finally she called, Dad, Dad, I think I've got an opportunity. So they, they think they're going to bring him in for a second interview. And so she called two days later, Dad, uh, they're bringing me in for a third interview. I said, sure, things are going really good. We're believing God for divine favor. The Bible says the righteous are rounded with a shield of divine favor. God did it for Daniel. God did it for Joseph. He's doing it for you. Divine favor. So then the fifth interview. And so we were all excited. She's calling me. I'm out of town. Hey, Dad, I'm going for the fifth interview. Baby, they want you, they want you something fierce. So on the fifth interview, the vice president of the bank says, we want to hire you. He said, well, I'm excited. I'm honored to get this job. And the, the vice president said, do you know why we're hiring you? She said, well, I guess because uh, I did real good in math in college, a straight-A student. No, honey, this is commercial banking. We don't hire people unless they make straight A's in math. 
It's, well, I have good people skills. I grew up in a big family, and I guess I have good people skills. No, honey, this is commercial banking. We don't hire people unless they have good people skills. Do you know why we're hiring you? And she was confused. She said, no. And so what I made all my kids do is take a 10-key test at a local junior college. It was $39.95, 10-night course. I don't care what your degree's in. If you can run a 10-key, a calculator, calculator, one, two, three, four, five, six. If you can run a 10-key, you can get a job at any bank in America. And most banks are open from 8 to 5. And they're air-conditioned in the summer, and they're heated in the winter. And most everybody going there has got money, and they're dressed nice. And so I said, if you run a 10-key for $39.95, if you run a 10-key, I can get you a job at any bank in my town, which they did. Now, you can do that, or you can work down here at McDonald's to 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's good. I've done that. I've, I've worked those kitchens when I was getting my degree, when I was get first married. I'm working everything I can work. But, you know, you get paid for two things, what you know and what you can do. And so... She said, well, Dad, you know I got the job. I said, no. The banker said, it's because you scored the third highest error on our 10-key test. I said, Dad, I, I, I got a college degree from a very expensive college. I made straight A's. I didn't get hired for my college degree. I didn't get hired for my people skills. I got hired because real good on a $39 course. Because God is the one that opens doors, not you. You don't get hired because of your IQ and your GPA. It's God that gives you a shield of divine favor. Uh, what I did for my high school students years ago, I collected 1,200 biographies from Americans, all Americans, that uh, were very successful, either became millionaires or billionaires. So all of them are very good at what they do, but none of them had a degree. Most did not finish high school. And so I would pull up some like Thomas Edison got kicked out of school in the fourth grade. His fourth grade teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything. So he got a job as a 12-year-old kid delivering messages on a train from the uh, boxcar to the, the engineer, from the caboose to the engineer. He was an errand boy. So one night a guy got mad at him, hit him upside the head with a two-by-four, and a fourth-grade dropout went pretty much deaf and stayed that way the rest of his life. So I tell all the kids, I said, you know something? That deaf fourth-grade dropout has over a 1,000 patents to his name, one including the light bulb. I don't care what you should. Well, I didn't go to school, and I didn't finish. I didn't make good grades. I wasn't very smart. No, you know God, and you know the Son of God, who can raise the dead and walk on water and wants to do great things in your life. You need to start trusting God. So when you start setting your priorities, number one, I'm glad you went to school. I'm glad you're good at that. I'm glad you got a, you know, you're real smart at that. You're a great carpenter or great whatever. But you need to know God because God is the difference maker every day of your life. The Bible says you get up in the morning, God's always uh, five seconds in front of you, five days in front of you, five years. God said, I'm going to order your steps, direct your paths. I'm going to guide you in all truth. God said, I'm going to talk to you when you go to sleep, when you wake up, and you walk during the day. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, you need to know that tests and trials come to everybody. And I tell my kids because they kid, how come if I go to church, I say my prayers, I pay my tithe, why do I have so much hell in my life? Well, because you live on an alien planet. And Satan is the temporary God of this world, John 10, 10. He steals, kills, and destroys. And so I'm the family minister. Now, nobody preaches in my family. I'm the only one. And so I do all the weddings and funerals for free because I'm free. Well, I got relatives all over the country. And I'm the one they'll call. Joe, why do you think this happened? Why do you think this happened? I said, well, I don't know. But well, why did God, God didn't let this happen. God's not in charge of this planet. If you read the New Testament, eight times Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Ask that your joy might be made full. And so I wanted my kids to know when you leave home, God's got a great plan for your life. But there are a lot of things going to try to stop it. Because when the word comes, the devil comes immediately to steal that. I want my kids to know 
got to get a vision alive because where there's no vision, you're going to perish. But when you get a vision, there's going to be opposition. You know, whether you're, you like basketball or football or baseball, the guys that win the national championships, nobody likes. Nobody's put, unless they happen to be your team. Nobody likes last year's national championship. I hope they get beat. I hope they get, people don't like winners. They just don't because they think you got lucky. No, most champions won because they're good at what they did. They put in more time. They studied more. They, they had more diligence about them. The hand of the diligence bears rule. The hand of the diligence is made famous. Just put your hand to something. So I don't want my kids going through life feeling sorry for themselves. Well, if I'd only studied more, if I'd only taken that course, if I'd only majored in that, if I'd only practiced more in ball, you know, no, get out of your past. God's in your future. God's mercy is new in the morning. The Bible says this, run boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Run boldly to the throne of grace. Who? Everybody. What are you supposed to do? I'm supposed to run boldly to the throne of grace. What do you need? Mercy. What's mercy? When you send on purpose and you know it. You know, I grew up in church. I grew up in church my whole life. And you always had those people, you go say, hey, where's Billy Bob at? He, he wasn't here Sunday. Oh, maybe he's sick or something. Next Sunday, man, where's Billy Bob and his family? They're not here. And you realize you would know, because you knew people. We were a small community. You know everybody in there. You know what's going on. People would sin, and they wanted to, they'd stay out of church so they clean themselves up. You can't clean you up. Only God can clean you up. I tell people, you ought to be the kind of Christian when the door's open, you need to be the first person in. You ought to be the first person praying. I'll be the first person serving because you can get really, you can get saved and forgiven real quick. You just run boldly to the throne of grace and get what? Mercy. What's mercy? When you send on purpose, you know it. I need to run boldly. God, it's be like I said, what are you doing here, son? Well, I just thought I'd come hang out. Everything going okay? Uh, sort of. You in trouble? Maybe. Is there a problem? Could be. You <laughs> know, what is it? I think I've sinned. How's it working out for you? Not too good. I wanted my kids to know when you leave home, I've done my best, your mom and I, to train you and teach you to do what's right, not cheat and lie and steal. And if you do, repent quick, you know, because you repent quick, you get forgiven quick. Don't be braggadocious. Be humble. God exalts the humble. You know, go serving. Uh, most people know my story. I've got of my six kids, five went to college on scholarship. They said, well, you were lucky. No, there's no such thing as luck. There's God, the devil, heaven, hell. There's no such thing as luck. So I taught my kids, listen, what do, you, what do you want to do in life? So every year I'd make them write it on paper. Well, I'd like to do this. Well, how are you going to get to do that? You've got to learn more than you know now. And so then, well, I need to go to school. Well, how are you going to get to school? Because uh, it's expensive. So I made my kids take the PACT and the PSAT test starting in the ninth grade. They get scholarships based on that test score. So don't wait till your senior year and take it and try to pass. We're not trying to pass. We're trying to knock the top of it off. So we would practice that test. We would go to bookstores. You can buy the vocab book of all the words that will be on the SAT test. They've got 2,000 words they pick from. So I'd make them just one year go through and just write down 20 words a day just so you kind of get used to them. You're not going to memorize it. But, for example, one of my kids learned about shun, ocean, crustacean. Well, it has to do with water. So if there's four options on that question, it's like, hey, there's a shun. That's got to be it. It's got to do with water. And so I gave them the advantages on taking tests. And then their senior year, they took the... SAT test five times. Paid $39.95 each time. What are you trying to do? I'm trying to practice that test. Why? We're looking for a scholarship. So people still get, boy, your kids are smart. No, they're not. I, I'm, I'm their father. They're good, but they're not that smart. But we did learn how to do things. The hand of the diligent bears rule. So when you lay your year out, what are you going to do? Well, there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible about work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to show up a little early. 
Stay a little later, and I'm going to leave everything better than I find it. I'm not going to try to scoot out something and scoot by something. I want people to like when I show up. When I walk through the door, I want people to smile. Hey, Joe's here. Now, oh, dear, good as Joe's here. Dear Lord, I hope he leaves. You want to leave every, you're the salt and light. I want you to leave people better than you find it. So that's the goal. If you'll do that, I'll promise you, whatever you do for a living, you'll like going to work every morning. And you should like going to work. I grew up in a big fan. Man, I hate my job, stinking job, stinking boss. Well, it's probably, you're probably not going to get a raise. It's probably not going to go good. Because they used to tell my kids, I don't care how good you did in school. Next year, there's another group of seniors coming out of both high school and college. Next year, there's another group. The boat's moving and people are coming down. So you're supposed to be growing in the grace and knowledge of God. So you need to study and learn. So I do it every year. We just sit down. We just did it this year. One piece of paper. Go around the circle. What are you going to do this year? Write it down. Write the vision make it plain. Habakkuk 2.2 2 says, write the vision make it plain. Why? It's not going to happen right now. But if you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. So every year we get paper, we write it down. The kids hand it back to me, and I said, you get a copy, but you're giving me the original copy. I have a file in my office. Come back next year, I'm going to feed you real good, and we're going to pull this out. And we're going to let you see a year from now if you made progress. I'm not trying to make them feel bad. I'm trying to let them know, have you got a vision? Because if you don't have a vision, you get into depression. And so I've got family that I've done it. Nothing's ever worked out for me. Nobody's ever loved me. I've never had a good job. I didn't do good in school. And they sing a sad song. Well, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong and let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things to be not as though they are. So when we go this process, my kids know. They can quote me before I say it. Dad, we know what you're going to do. Well, it's still the word of God and it's still true. God watches over his word before He watches over this. So I want you to start doing what God says. If you'll do that, it's going to be a wonderful run. So what we're going to do, I'm going to do what I do for my kids. Same thing every year. I go through and I give certain books. We, I let them take the unemployment test. Discover your God-given gifts. It's a book you can get in a bookstore. I give them tests. I said, well, is your gift still there? Yeah, was it still working? Yeah. Well, the next thing is you've got to make sure you're praying over and saying the right thing. Let the redeemed Lord say so. So I lead them through the same thing. It's why I pray every day, twice a day. So if you're listening, you might want to get a pencil and piece of paper and you can take notes. Here's the first thing I pray every day. Pray this every morning. Pray before I go to sleep tonight. I'll go to sleep then. I say, Father, I ask you, teach my children to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. With that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. Surround my children with divine favor. You said you would surround the righteous with a shield of divine favor. People like them, and they don't even know why. So I never tolerated my kids talking about coach doesn't like me, teacher won't play me, boss doesn't like me. No, people like you, they just don't know it yet. God did it for Daniel. God did it for Joseph. They ended up running a country because of favor. And then, Father, bring godly friends into my children's life. Friends that will strike iron with them, that will tell them the truth, that, that will make them grow and become what you want them to be. Bring godly friends in my life that will strike iron with them and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. So I say it three times, all those three things twice a day. Father, I'm asking you for fear of God, divine favor, godly friends. Father, teach my kids fear of God, divine favor, godly friends. I'll say it again. I want the fear of God on my children. If you ask it, he'll give it. Number two, I want divine favor. All my kids walk in divine favor. It's not a perfect world, but you, we've got favor. People like you don't even know why. Then I want godly friends. I believe it's going to come to pass and God's going to bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wasn't that awesome? That was amazing. And I sit and I listen to Joe and I think, wow. Um, you can tell why his kids are successful. And this series is all about putting God first. And I thought, wow, what an incredible job he did teaching us how to put God first. 
in our children's life and how to raise our kids. And it was absolutely amazing. As you know, you, you just listened to it. I want to give you an opportunity to give to his ministry because, uh, you know, he's supported by going to churches. And you can give if you go to believers.cc. You can give right online. If you're watching there, you see the light where you can, you can give to the button. And also, uh, you see the different ways on the screen that you can give. You can text your giving in. You see exactly how to do that. And I'm telling you, it was amazing. And I'm so thankful for Joe. And I can't wait to see everybody next week. God bless you. And may his blessings flood your life. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out Believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at Believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.